This is most certainly true. Jesus is the King, and He's coming soon. Our celebration of His Christmas arrival is coming soon, but His return is coming soon as well. Are you ready? He makes us ready through faith and opens our eyes to expect and to see and to welcome His return, to take us to live with Him forever. Get your hearts and lives more prepared for the King through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. The first reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 64. These words of our Lord will serve as the basis for today's sermon. Oh, that you, Lord, would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies, And cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm guessing those words have been spoken by you before. Maybe they were words of invitation, much like we just sang in this last hymn or the the well-known meal prayer, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Sometimes there are words that are spoken with a heart of hope, longing that Jesus will come again as he has promised to do so on the last day. Sometimes those are words that are spoken out of desperation, maybe before an exam or a big project is going to be due. Come, Lord Jesus, before I have to take this test. And sometimes those words might be spoken from a heart that is frustrated, a heart that is seeking God's mercy and justice. Full disclosure, those words rolled off of my lips a week ago Friday. I was sitting in the living room of my house with my wife. She had just shared news of COVID-infecting family of ours. I had just shared news of just an unbelievable act of violence against someone we knew. In the meantime, in the background, our TV was on to developing news and reports of a mass shooting taking place at the Mayfair Mall, just right in our backyard of our city a few miles from where I lived. And all of that on top of what 
the year 2020 has just so graciously given to us all, and the words just rolled right off my lips, come Lord Jesus. And I don't know that I meant them, have meant them any more deeply than I did at that moment. And yet I know that I wasn't the first to have cried out those words, and surely not the last. God's people have been crying out for the Lord to come for centuries. And as we look at the history of our world and the history of God's people, He has come in many powerful ways, but there are also the prayers and the cries in which we are still waiting for that cry and, and that promise to be fulfilled. And so we cry out and we wait. But the Lord is coming. Today our attention is taken to the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And in those words we hear this very phrase, Come down, Lord. Israel was God's chosen people, a very special nation to him, and yet they rebelled against God. And so God permitted a foreign nation, an enemy, to come in and to overtake them. And it was during this time of turmoil that Isaiah cried out on behalf of the people of Israel, Come down, Lord! And it's in that prayer that's before us that Isaiah teaches us an important truth. Faith prays. Believing and trusting in our Lord moves us to cry out to Him for help and deliverance. In fact, faith even moves us to cry out to God when it feels like He is hidden or far off from us, when it seems like He doesn't care or is silent. Surely the people of Israel felt that way about their relationship with God during that moment of their history and I have a feeling that there are moments in your life where you feel that way too about your relationship with God. You just look around at the fallen world and you realize very quickly that as much as you might try and hope that there might be a fix or some kind of peace in this world, you realize that there is no amount of human ingenuity and effort that is really going to make everything okay. You and I can only do so much. A person can only do so much And it's only a temporary fix. It's not long-lasting. But faith points us to one who can do much more. And faith moves us to cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Faith cries out to the Lord, seeking Him to come, to step in and help us, because faith clings to God's promises of grace and mercy and power. It's what Isaiah clung to as he cried out to the Lord in these verses. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Isaiah pleaded that God would come down with the kind of power that would melt mighty mountains. He asked that God would would come down and make his name known among the nations, just as he had done in the past. And I wonder if we don't often pray the same way. 
God, if you would only come down into this world and show yourself that you would come down in power and make everything right again. Lord, if this world just needs a little bit more Jesus, if you just come and, and show the world more Jesus, we ask God to come and to do like the things he has done in the past. And I wonder what came to Isaiah's mind as he made that plea. Did he reflect on how God had powerfully led the people of Israel out of their cruel slavery in Egypt with ten mighty plagues and then parted the powerful waters of a sea so that they could cross on dry land and then have those same waters tumble down on their pursuing enemies? Did Isaiah think about how God had powerfully pushed the enemies of Israel and those nations in the promised land away so that they could dwell there? Was he reminded of how God had sent down fire from heaven upon the very altar and sacrifice of the prophet Elijah to show that he was true God? In many ways in the past, God showed his power and his might and his willingness to use it for his people. And so Isaiah put his hope in future deliverance from the Lord as he put that hope in the past actions of our God and the promises that he had fulfilled. And in the same way, you and I can have the same hope, can have the same cry and plead to the Lord because we have a God who comes and answers our prayers. For us, there is no power, more powerful display than when the very curtains of heaven were ripped apart and God himself came down upon this earth, taking on human flesh as he was born of a virgin to be the savior of you and me as he went the way of the cross to pay for your sins and overcome death. It's that very Savior King that we saw in the gospel today making his way into Jerusalem, being welcomed like a king to the shouts of Hosanna, save us. As his journey was taking him to the very cross to die for you. Because God came, because he has shown his power and fulfilled his promises, Because God loves you so unconditionally, you can cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Come and defend and protect me and comfort me in this life. Come often through your word and sacraments to strengthen my faith and love for you. Come again as you have promised on the last day to take us from this wicked world and and your faithful people to be with you in heaven. And then we wait. Isaiah said, No eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I have a feeling, though, that you are not very good at waiting. So what are the things, what are the gods that you find yourself putting your hope and trust in to help you and deliver you in your times of trouble and turmoil? Science? Doctors? Elected leaders? Spiritual leaders like a pastor? Influential celebrities? Family members? Friends? I mean, who is it that you're putting your trust in? Because you do... 
You put your hope and trust in people, hoping that they are going to give you a solution for all the problems of your life, and sometimes they do. They give you that quick fix, which so often appeals to our desire to have instant gratification. But let's be honest, the best that people, the best that this world can offer to you is only temporary and not long-lasting. There's only one who will never fail you and will fix every problem. One who has never and never will fail you. The Lord God. And that God acts on behalf of those who wait on him in love and faith and trust. However, I think the problem we often have when it comes to waiting is that while we're waiting, we start looking inside of us. And we start to see the shortcomings in our sin. As Isaiah continues with these verses, he really puts up a mirror in front of us to reflect on in our hearts and lives. He says, You, Lord, come to the help of those who gladly do right. And as I look in the mirror, I look and see that I don't often do what is right, and rarely is it gladly. He continues, you, Lord, come to the help of those who remember your ways. And as I look again, I see so often, I don't remember your ways, Lord. But, and this is where I'm much more like, um, when we continue to sin against your ways, Lord, you were angry. How then can we be saved? God should want nothing to do with a bunch of rebellious sinners like you and me. And the thought often comes into our heads, well, if that's the reality, how I stand before God, is it even worth me waiting on him? Isaiah paints one of the most descriptive pictures of the sinful nature that you'll find anywhere in, in the Bible. He starts off by nailing on the head the, the all-inclusiveness of the reality and the problem of sin. All of us We all, no one. And so if you're sitting here thinking that you are not sinful, you're not that bad of a person, you're just lying to yourself. Because each and every one of us gathered around God's word today are people who disobey God and hurt the people in your life with your words and your actions and your thoughts. And Isaiah goes on to describe just how ugly that sin really is. He says that you are unclean, that you are polluted and defiled. Think like Old Testament times when people of Israel would come down with this horrendous skin disease called leprosy and it would cause them to be ostracized from their community, kicked out. Your sin makes you so unclean that it ostracizes you. It separates you from a relationship, from a community with God. And even your best efforts to to make yourself clean, to to appease God, to pay for your sins, to make everything okay, God says are like filthy, dirty rags. And actually, even more specifically, he says that they are a bunch of dirty, bloody menstrual cloths. That's how ugly our sin is. This isn't just some flippant, oh, I made a mistake. It is gross and vile. And because of it, God hides his face from us. Who then can be saved? 
You've maybe heard me say this before in a past sermon or in a Bible class because I like to share this because one of my favorite words, all-time favorite words that I find in the Bible is a very short, simple conjunction. It's the word but. It's a word that signifies a contrast, something different. I tell you what, after seeing and hearing about how ugly and vile my sin is before God, I need to hear something different. Verse 8 of our reading gives us that much needed change. But, yet, you, Lord, are our Father. You, sinner, can come before our God because He is our heavenly and eternal Father who loves you so deeply that He sent His Son, Jesus, His one and only Son, into this world to set you free from all of your sins as He took your place and He has washed away all of the ugliness and the vileness of your sins, making you clean and forgiven. And God, your Father, remembers your sins no more as He has nailed them to the cross and buried them in the tomb. And your God loves you so deeply and unconditionally that He comes into your heart and life today, drawing you near to Him as His dear people. And that Lord God is forming you and your life with His very hands, like clay being formed by a potter. God takes you this this lumpy, clumpy, wet and slimy piece of clay and he forms you and molds you, smoothing out all of the sin and shortcomings of your life, all of the troubles and struggles, all that debt, all those surgeries, all that divorce, all the depression, all the doubts, and he smooths them out. He molds you into this vessel that he fills with his love and makes you fit for service in his kingdom. God restores you when you are broken with his promises of grace and peace and forgiveness. And so we wait. There was a father and his young son who went Christmas shopping at one of these big, big box stores like Walmart or Target. And while they were, they were shopping, at some point the, the young child got separated from his father. And when the dad realized that his son was missing, he panicked and his fatherly instincts went into overdrive. He searched that store inside and out. He was going up and down every aisle, searching through the Christmas crowds, trying to find his son. After searching for some time, he came across a security guard and asked if they had surveillance. And he did, so he took him back to the security room and he looked at this wall, this bank full of monitors that covered every corner of that store and they searched every single one of them trying to find where his son might be and there, there they found him. The little boy was sitting on the floor in the middle of an aisle, the toy aisle of all places, just crying as he was surrounded by strangers, people he didn't know. The father was overjoyed to find him but he didn't want to risk the the fact that his son might wander off before he could go from the security room to that part of the store, so he asked to use the intercom. And the father spoke into that microphone. Christopher! 
And as the dad looked at the monitor, the son looked up because he heard the voice of his father. Christopher, I know that you can't see me, but I see you. And I know you're afraid and and you're scared, but I need you to just stay right where you're at. I'm coming for you. Just wait. In those moments in life when you don't feel like you see God, or you don't think that God can see you, in those moments when life seems out of balance and God's not there, Listen to the voice of your Father calling you to you through His Word. Listen to Him as He promises that He sees you and that He is there watching over you. And He is taking you in His hands, rescuing you from sin and death, forming you as His own dearly loved and forgiven child as His people. Your God, our God, the God, acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And so we wait. The Lord is coming. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today and we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always.